one thing I wanted to say as, you, as we think about the fact that God has brought us to this place of being five years old as a church um, is the fact that it's by God's grace alone. It's His doing that's enabled us to be able to be here as a church. God has made something clear to me, and I hope clear to us through all of this, that if this is all up to us, our ability, our ingenuity, our creativity, then we are sunk. Um, But when we understand that it's by His grace, His empowerment, that it's okay being sufficiently insufficient, um, that it's okay to embrace our weakness, that it's okay for us to understand that we are in need of His empowerment and grace to do this, then we're right where we need to be for God to work in us as much as He seeks to work through us. So we can give praise to God for that this morning. Let's go to Him in prayer and give thanks and jump into His Word together. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity we have this morning to gather together as your church. And this is your church. And Father, we pray that you would help us to never forget that reality, that fact that this is your family that you've brought together by the blood of Jesus. And so we give you praise this morning. We give you glory. We give you honor. Anything good that has come out of the ministry of this church over the last five years is not to our praise, not to our glory, not to the boast of our name, but to your praise and your glory and the boast of your name. And so, Lord, we celebrate that this morning. And fathers, we jump into your word, into the book of Hebrews this morning. I pray that you would bless this time, that it be honoring to you, glorifying to you and that would draw us ever closer to you. We pray, Father, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would stir our affections for you and send us out of this place with a joy in Jesus today. So help me to communicate your word faithfully and clearly. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. If you need a Bible this morning, if you just raise your hand, we'll have a few folks that are going to bring a Bible around to you. Uh, So just keep your hand up till they find you this morning so that we can read the book of Hebrews together. I want you to have God's Word in your hand, and so if you don't actually own a Bible, please feel free to take that home with you as well uh, so that you can read along with us. Sorry that it's a little warm in here this morning. I think they, like, turned the AC off because I guess it's September, uh, but I don't know what's up with that, so apologize for that as well. You know, we live in a pretty frenetic culture, right? Pretty fast-paced culture. I don't think that's hard for any of us to understand, any of us to see. We look around us, our own lives uh, dictate and kind of portray the fact that we're hurried a lot of times. We're moving from here and there, always trying to be somewhere and be doing something. And for a lot of us to get up and get going in the morning, we have some kind of beverage that has caffeine in it, right, to get us up and get moving in the morning. An article from the Mayo Clinic says that it seems to be relatively safe for most healthy adults to consume about 400 milligrams of caffeine each day. 400 milligrams of caffeine. You may be saying, Okay, I don't really know how much caffeine that actually is. Well, that's roughly the amount of caffeine in 10 cans of soda. Now, that also means you're drinking a lot of sugar, but it's 10 cans of soda. Two energy shot drinks, like a five-hour energy, or four cups of brewed coffee. Now, before you think, well, man, I'm pretty good. I only drink two cups of coffee a day. Now, this is two eight-ounce cups of coffee, not your giant travel mug full of coffee or the big mug you have at home that holds 16 ounces A grande coffee at Starbucks actually has about 550 milligrams of caffeine in it. So more than your daily dose right there in one cup. 80% of U.S. adults consume caffeine in some form each day. And America has the highest rate of coffee consumption in the entire world. 
So maybe Dunkin' Donuts is right, and America does run on Dunkin' or some other brand of coffee or caffeine. It seems to be what keeps us fueled and going a lot throughout the day, and that's not even touching on how much gas we consume as a country on a daily basis to get us from point A to point B. But this is not a sermon on caffeine or consumption or addiction that might be going on in our lives. No, this is a sermon about what fuels us as individuals and what fuels us as a church family. Last week, we began a short mini-series talking about the vision of our church and what God is doing in the life of these church, what we hope for Him to do over these next three to five years. And so as we look back to see where we've come from, giving thanks to God for His faithfulness to us, His grace to us, we also look ahead in hopefulness. We look ahead in hopefulness to see and see what God might continue to do, clinging to Him, calling on Him to be faithful to what He's calling us to as a church as we journey on to that new city, a city whose designer and builder is God. Something we said last week is that vision flows out of value. And at Sojourn, we value the gospel and we value being family together. Well, last week we looked at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22, and we looked at what it means to be gospel-founded. Well, today, drawing off of what we looked at last week, we're going to be in verse 23 of Hebrews chapter 10 and see what it means to be gospel-fueled. And so my hope is that if you call Sojourn your church, that God's going to use this time in His Word to stir your affections for Him. That you'll be overwhelmed by His grace towards you. You'll be overwhelmed by His blessing over you and over this church. That your heart will be drawn closer to Him and His faithfulness. And that He'll empower you to hold fast to Him. No matter what comes your way, to press forward together because He who has called you and called us together is faithful. And if you're here just checking out this church, maybe trying to figure out if this is a community that God is calling you to be a part of. If you're here this morning checking out who Jesus is, or maybe you're here this morning and you're not really sure why you're here at all. Someone invited you, a friend or a coworker. But no matter where you find yourselves, my hope for you is very similar. I want you this morning to taste and see that the Lord that we follow, our God, is good. And then jump in and journey with us no matter what questions you might have or what's going on in your life right now. Listen, we're okay with anyone being here this morning. We're okay with anyone being anywhere on your spiritual journey this morning. But what we're not okay with is anyone staying where you're at. We want to see you continue to move forward on that spiritual journey. Because left to ourselves, we're not okay. And God... The God that we follow, the God that we worship is not in the business of saving people and then leaving them as they are. And so neither are we. So praise God for his grace and for his word. And let's dive in and mine the treasure and truths of what he has for us today. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And as I said this morning, or as I said last week, we're going to be in Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25 through these next few weeks. And so I'm going to read all of those verses and focus in on verse 23 this morning. This is God's word to us this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... 
by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So as we begin this morning, let me ask you a question. What fuels you? What fuels you? What, what fuels us as a church, as a community? What keeps you moving forward through the good and the bad? Through times of comfort and ease as well as times of discomfort and difficulty. Last week we dove into this text and focused on the reality that we are a gospel-founded community. In these first few verses of this text, they, they highlight and they recap all that the author of Hebrews has been seeking to unpack up to this point. Namely, that Jesus, who he is and what he has done, is better than anything else that this world would offer to you. He's better than anything else in this world that you could put your hope in. Jesus has made a way and he is the way. To not only be forgiven for all of your sin and rebellion, but to be able to actually draw near to God. The goal of the gospel, the reality of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, all of that is not merely for the forgiveness of your sin. It's that by paying for your sin in full that you and I can be reconciled and restored to a right relationship with the living God. That you now can come before the very presence of the Lord and not be consumed by His glory, but actually rejoice in it. That because of what Christ alone has done, you get God. That the obstacle for that sin has been removed and you get God. But one of our temptations in all of this, and oftentimes as we read God's Word, is to, to believe this, to, to think this is true, I, I'm holding on to it, I believe it's true, but when we do that, to only think about ourselves. To read God's Word in an individualistic kind of way, and that's a common occurrence within the American church. Too often, our Western minds read God's Word and read about God's promises, and we think only of how it applies to us as individuals. But God's Word is communal. It's God's word written to his collective people, to a redeemed community called to bring redemption to the world. Now it's true, God saves individually. Christ secured and accomplished salvation for those whom God would call, but it has to be applied to our lives individually by faith. God saves you individually, but not merely as an individual. He saves you into a community. A community of equal and fully redeemed men and women from different backgrounds, different skin colors, different socioeconomic statuses who are bound together not by affinity, but by our great advocate who saves to the uttermost and now sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. 
Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, the Apostle Paul writes this about God's people and the gospel. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So, if we are going to endure, if we are going to make it to the end as a united people, as a healthy church, as not merely redeemed people but a redeemed family, then we must be fueled by the gospel. We remember the audience that the author is writing to is experiencing great persecution and temptation to turn away from Christ, to turn away from his kingdom and back to their old way of life and living. And the whole book of Hebrews thus far has been an appeal to see the greatness of Christ and a call to believe that Jesus really is better than anything this world offers to you, anything that this world promises, and anyone that might masquerade as a savior of sorts. And you and I find ourselves in a world and a culture that is marred by sin. A world and a culture that is ever seeking to advance not the good news of Jesus, but the good news of self, which is really good, no good news at all. It's a false gospel that says it's right and good for you to build your own kingdom and focus on yourself, but it lies to you. It lies to you and it tells you that you're okay just as you are. But see, the good news of the gospel of Jesus tells us that this is not true. In fact, the reality is, what it tells us is that if we're left to ourselves, then all that there is with that is death and darkness. But life and hope are found not within ourselves, not within our abilities, not within our strength, not within our psyche, but in the one who lived and died and rose again to bring us to God. So in light of that reality, the author is calling the people of God then, and the people of God now, he's calling us, the people who have been brought together by the gospel, to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Now confession of hope for you may sound kind of like a churchy phrase or a churchy word, like cool, I guess that's what people around church say, confession of hope, but what does that actually mean? Well, a confession is, a, is an open declaration. It's an admission, a profession of belief. It's like when Buddy the Elf comes busting into the conference room and says, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. Right? There's boldness. That's not subtly declared. It's boldly declared. And in this case, it's a declaration that the church believes in the finished work and the authoritative words of King Jesus. Boldly professing that, boldly confessing that. But notice it says a confession of hope, not a confession of faith. Now we'll see in Hebrews 11 how faith and hope work together and go together. But hope is a confident expectation in a future event. It's a confident expectation in a future event. And it's based on the promises of who your faith is in. What he said he will do and how he will bring it about. So this hope here is not some pie-in-the-sky kind of hope of, of wishful thinking. right? We can have lots of hopes like that. If you're a DC sports fan, you have hopes oftentimes that aren't realistic, right? Like that the Redskins might actually win their division. That's a hope, but that's kind of a pie-in-the-sky hope. 
Now, this is a firmly rooted, grounded hope. And the author is calling his storm-battered friends to a hope that is rooted in the radical reality of scandalous grace. That Jesus has opened a new way, in a living way, for you and I to draw near to God. A hope that he will come again to bring us fully into the kingdom, in the new city, the new heavens, and the new earth. He's calling these people to hold fast, not to their wit and intellect, not to their personal strength. He's calling them to hold fast to their risen king. And he's saying this to a people who are facing adversity for following Jesus. A people who it's no longer become convenient. It's no longer become advantageous for them to claim to be followers of Christ, to not have that confession of hope that they speak out loud. And maybe that's true for you in your own life, in your workplace, in your school, in your family, and culture more and more is pushing the church to the margins of culture and society where it's not an advantage to you to claim to follow Jesus. But the author is trying to say, hold fast, hold fast without wavering. It's a call to the community to recognize that the position you have with the living God is a privileged position. Not because you're great, not because you figured it all out, but because God reached into your life and he saved you and he brought you into his family and now you get to know the living God. And then by understanding that, holding fast just in and of itself is a confession. So when the storms of life come, when the winds of culture have shifted and increased, seeking to tear you down, to persuade you to walk away from Jesus and His ways, when the effects of sin and a broken world come crashing onto and into your life, you can hold fast to your confession of hope without wavering because of who your hope is in. In the two recent hurricanes that we saw come through the southern United States, One of the things that was clear is we saw the difference between buildings that endured the storm and buildings that didn't endure the storm. The wind is indiscriminate, right? It doesn't doesn't approach one building and say, I'm going to try and blow this one over and I'm not going to try and blow this one over. It just rages and blows against anything and everything. Buildings and structures that endured were those that were built in a way to endure. But see, the problem for most of us when we hear this idea of holding fast is, I think we think of it like American Ninja Warrior. Anybody watch that show? Who knows what what I'm talking about? American Ninja Warrior? Okay, maybe half of you. All right. So American Ninja Warrior, it's an obstacle course, right, where someone starts at the beginning and the goal is to finish the obstacle course and they continue to compete against one another. But this is a crazy obstacle course. Like, I'm not sure how anybody actually finishes this. They're going, jumping over all kinds of things, having to grab onto all different kinds of things, And a lot of times, the make it or break it point is if you're able to hold on. Like when you jump to one thing to another, you're able to hold on to that. And so the grip has to be super strong, and you have to be able to have a lot of upper body strength to be able to complete this race. And a whole lot of people start the American Ninja Warrior race, but a lot of people don't finish because they can't hold on. I think oftentimes in the Christian life, we think that's what it's about. It's like, all right, just grip really tight. It's all by yourself. You have to finish the race on your own. And we just aren't sure we're going to be able to do it. But see, the call of the Christian life, a life rooted and founded by the gospel, is a race, but it isn't one we run alone. And 
It isn't one whose success depends on our abilities and our skill. No, the journey of the Christian life is never a solo endeavor. There are two things that we have to pay attention to from this text, from Hebrews 10.23. The first thing we see is that the call in Hebrews 10.23 is let us hold fast. Let us hold fast. So I think there are a lot of times that maybe we start to grasp the idea of holding fast to Jesus, but we miss the let us part. Right? In American Ninja Warrior, the person's trying to run the race and they always show their three or four family or fans or whatever on the side and they're cheering them on, but they're kind of at a distance. They're not in it with them. I think sometimes we think that's what the Christian life is like. But no, this is a team effort. This is a community effort. Or better yet, it's a gospel family effort. A family that's formed and founded by the gospel and whose foundation remains the gospel. You and I have to help one another hold fast to Jesus in the midst of the storm. And we do this by reminding one another of the hope we have, of who we are and whose we are. But what we also have to understand, what we also have to believe in this text, something crucial, especially in a culture that promotes being self-made and self-actualized and self-sufficient. We can't miss this. Your ability to hold fast is not in yourself but the one who holds you and who holds all things together. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, the Apostle Paul there is talking about Jesus. And this is what he said. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. It's Jesus who does this. Jesus who made you. Jesus who sustains you. Jesus who holds you together. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, Jesus, speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Listen, you continue to hold fast when you recognize that Jesus is your only hope. And that he will never leave you. That he will never forsake you. That he has promised to be with you to the very end of the age. That everything else that you could hold fast to in this life is like water through your fingers. It's like building your house on sand. Only Christ and his kingdom endure. You and I can hold fast without wavering because God will not waver. He who promised is faithful. See, when we read this in verse 23, we need to understand that he's talking about God's character. He's talking about God's track record. God has always been faithful to his purposes. He's always been faithful to his plans. He's always been faithful to his people. When we look back over the history that we see throughout the scriptures, of all the time of God's people, God has never 
wavered. It doesn't mean that we're not going to go through difficulty. It doesn't mean we're not going to go through challenges in life. But God remains faithful. And we see this in and through the gospel. He said he would redeem a people, and he has. He's been working out redemption in the lives of his people since the beginning. He gives us grace. He gives us gospel community to endure all things and continue to move forward and draw near to our living God, whether life is calm and comfortable or whether it's full of storms and distraction. We call this sermon gospel-fueled. Why is that? What does fuel do? It provides us with the means to be able to move forward. It provides your car with the ability to move forward. Your body, the ability to move and live. Your computer to work. Your lights to turn on. Fuel is power. It's energy that enables whatever it is fueling to move and continue on. And so when the gospel comes to bear in your life, when the gospel comes to overwhelm you and change you, when Jesus saves you, He doesn't save you from your sin to sit around and be slothful. He saves you to move forward. Jesus is walking ahead of you. And He's calling you and He's leading you and He's beckoning you to follow Him in every aspect of your life. To go and tell the world, your neighbors and the nations, about His kingdom and the grace that enables that to be a possibility for you to be a part of it. But see, too often, in the busyness of life, we're either distracted to heed his call or we're fearful. Fearful to get out of the boat and walk with Jesus in the raging seas. I know this has been true of my own life. Even over these last five years of pastoring here at Sojourn, there have been times of great fear times of distraction, times of suffering and difficulty, times of tiredness and weariness, times of frustration and faint-heartedness, times where I have lost sight of Jesus and find myself sinking down in the water, losing my grip on Him. But you know what? In all of that, He has never lost His grip on me. He's never let me go. He's remained a steadfast anchor of my soul amidst the storm. And he's used many of you to help me to hold fast. Man, have there been times in your own life where you've lost sight of your Savior, where you've loosened your grip? Maybe you're in one of those times right now. Some of you have or are struggling with sickness. Some of you have or are struggling with anxiety and depression. Some of you have or are struggling with loss. Some of you have or are struggling with difficult family dynamics or kids or a difficult marriage situation. Some of you have been or are struggling with difficult work situations. Some of you have or are struggling with just the mundaneness of life. Some of you have or are struggling with the loneliness right now. 
Some of you have or are struggling with some type of addiction or you have or are struggling with some deep-rooted sin in your life. Some of you right now, because of, of an amalgamation of all kinds of things, just all of life right now, you just feel like you're drowning in life. And it's in those times in the midst of the storm that you need other people around you to remind you of why it's worth holding on. This church has been through challenges in these last five years. And we'll have challenges in the future. But when we are a church who is founded on the gospel, whose foundation remains the gospel, a family where you can be fully known and fully loved, then we together can hold fast to Jesus and be fueled by the gospel to continue to move onward and inward and upward together. And that's exactly what the world around us needs right now. So many of our neighbors have no hope in this world. They're ships with no sails and a broken rudder, blown to and fro by the winds of culture, where they always seem to be moving but never actually going anywhere. Others around us may say they have hope. They're holding fast to something. Maybe it's the hope of a president who will make things great again. Or politics that says that we need to do things this way and then we'll be okay. Or the hope of a relationship or a marriage or children. The hope of a secure financial future. Just the hope of the events of life. That if I can just get to the next weekend, if I can just get to that concert or that vacation or that trip or that time hanging out with friends, if I could just get to that bottle of wine, then everything will be okay. Maybe they have hope, but it's unsubstantiated hope. And the reason that's the case is because the gospel of this world is a Ponzi scheme. It's a Ponzi scheme. It's something that requires high personal investment for you and a promise of high personal return for you. And maybe at the beginning it pays out a little bit, but sooner or later it becomes uncovered and it comes crashing down in your life. See, people around us are always seeming to live for tomorrow. But either that tomorrow never comes or when it does, it doesn't quite fulfill the way they had hoped it would be. Fulfilling. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe your marriage hasn't turned out the way that you had planned. Maybe your career hasn't panned out like you'd hoped. Maybe you're surrounded by people all of the time, but you are utterly lonely. Or maybe all that you had hoped and dreamed for has actually happened in your life. But you're starting to take notice of that quiet voice that comes from a profound emptiness that says, is this really it? Is this all there is? And if that's you, I hope that what you've heard today so far is that the answer to that question is no, that's not all there is. There is a lover of your soul who has overcome the darkness of your life and has taken on all of your sin and all of your shame to forgive you and set you free and make you new. A lover of your soul who gives you grace for today and hope for tomorrow and who will come again and bring you fully into his Father's house where you'll be completely and fully known and fully loved. 
And this church right here is an expression of that hope. It's an expression of a family who welcomes you in, not as a perfect person who has it all together, but as a loved person. A loved person who has a Savior who says to you, no matter what you've done and no matter what you're going through right now, take heart, I have overcome the world. So if that's you this morning, will you let go of whatever it is you're putting your hope in? Whatever it is that you're trying to take hold of besides Jesus and actually take hold of Him. And then we can help one another hold fast to Him, fueled by the good news of His overcoming and saving grace and finish this race together. Sojourn Church exists because of who Christ is and what He's done. And because of that truth, we are a community founded on the gospel. So then, brothers and sisters, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. In the coming days, there'll be temptations to waver in a world that is set against Christ and the gospel. But as Christians, as followers of Jesus, our hope is not unsubstantiated. Our hope has substance. It's in the once dead, now risen King. So our strength doesn't come from ourselves, what we can do, what we know. It doesn't come from our intellect and our cleverness. No, as we read recently in community Bible reading in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, Nehemiah says, do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So, Sojourn, we have an anchor of our soul, an anchor that enables us to stand secure no matter what comes our way. And joy is found in Him. Why? Because He's risen. And He sits at the right hand of the Father and He intercedes for you right now. He has secured your place in the very presence of God, washing you clean and making you new. And He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. So hold fast, brothers and sisters. Hold fast to Jesus. And when we hold fast to Jesus, together we can take the gospel to those who so desperately need it to. This is the call of our church. To be a gospel-founded and gospel-fueled family who strive to make and mature and multiply disciples among our neighbors and the nations. Now we may know this, but are we doing this? Will we do this? A friend of mine gave me an example recently that I think really helps to encapsulate the struggle we have in the midst of the day-to-day of life. Imagine that you have an excellent umbrella, an excellent one. It's big enough to keep you dry on a rainy day. It doesn't turn inside out. It opens easily. It's easy to use. And ever since you've had this umbrella, you know about its great qualities. And occasionally you tell people about these great qualities. But how silly would it be for you to have this umbrella that protects you and keeps you dry, but every time it rains, you leave the house without it? Or maybe you carry it around with you as the rain pours down on you, but you never actually open it up. You have this amazing gift, but you aren't using it. And so many times in the Christian life, we have the hope of our confession with us. We know the resurrecting power of Jesus, but on a lot of days, particularly rainy days, we either leave it at home or carry it with us, but never open it up. We even maybe look to others around us and we see that they have hope and they have joy. 
And we complain and we groan and we say, man, I wish I had hope like that. I wish I had joy like that while we're holding it in our hands. Not recognizing that we do have it. We have it in our hands to hold on to. Romans chapter 8, verse 32, the Apostle Paul says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We have everything in Jesus. We've been raised with Christ. We have him. So we need to remember who we have and who has us and then help one another open up those umbrellas of hope, not just carry them around in our hands or leave them at our houses. See, when we have true community, we stand next to one another and face to face with one another and we open up those umbrellas of hope together and they create a, a covering over us and they protect us from the torrents of doubt and unbelief and lies and slander that come when we seek to follow Jesus in a world that's set against him. Man, I've experienced that in my own life. There's been moments where I'm losing my grip, moments where I'm not holding fast to Jesus, moments where I'm in despair, my eyes not on him, and I've had brothers come stand alongside of me and open up those umbrellas that they have in their hands to cover over me, to protect me, to remind me that I can continue to hold on and Jesus is holding on to me. Amidst the trials and difficulties of life, whether spiritual, physical, or circumstantial, together we are called to and can hold fast to our hope because of who Christ is. And we help one another to do this, and we can help one another do this because He who promised is faithful. And it's by that reality that our five-year-old church can look back in thankfulness that God has enabled us to endure. And that our five-year-old church can look ahead in hopefulness. Fueled not by tactics and schemes of the world, but fueled by the resurrecting power of our risen King. To be and do all that He has called us to be and do together. And to that, I invite you to say with me, Amen. We're going to transition now to a time of response to the preaching of God's Word. And we're going to do that by singing loudly and joyfully because of our hope that's in Jesus, who will never leave us and never forsake us. But we're going to begin that time of response, of celebration, by taking communion together, a meal that reminds us and refreshes us with the reality that while we were lost and alone with no hope in this world, while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. And we eat the bread, a picture of Christ's body broken for us. We drink the cup, a picture of Christ's blood shed for us. And food fuels our bodies. So today, as you eat and drink this spiritual meal, may it fuel you to persevere in faith and faithfulness this week, tomorrow, to the glory of God and the good of others around you. And then let's stand and raise our voices to praise of the anchor of our soul. And those of you that are not followers of Jesus, we would just ask you not to come forward to take communion. This is a meal for God's people to celebrate His grace and how desperate we are for Jesus. And so again, if you don't yet know Christ, if you've been putting your hope in something besides Jesus, I want to invite you, instead of coming forward to take this meal, to respond by just praying to God right now in your seat. If you're ready to put your hope off of the things of this world and put your hope in Christ, believing that He came to save you, just stay in your seat and tell God that.
And then let somebody around you know that you want to start a relationship with Jesus. Or that you're curious about what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus. And as a church, we'd love to journey with you in that. For those of you that will come forward, you can come to the front or the tables in the back. Tear off a piece of bread, take a cup to drink, and hear what Christ has done for you, spoken over you today. Let's pray. Father, this morning we pray just simply this, that you would help us to hold fast. To hold fast not to the things of this world, to hold fast not to the temporary realities of life, but to hold fast to you, to hold fast to Jesus, our risen King, who's endured the worst of pain and suffering on our behalf to bring us into a relationship with you that we might draw near to you. So Lord, I pray that we as a community, that we as individuals would be fueled by that gospel, that when difficulty and trial come into our life, whether through sin that we're struggling with or just the brokenness of this world, Father, I pray that you would help us to endure, to hold fast to you, to be fueled by that good news, to continue to put one foot in front of the other on this journey that you have us on. But help us, Lord, to do that together, to be united together. Let us hold fast. And we praise you this morning that as we seek to hold fast to you, that you hold on to us. That even when our grip is weak, even when our faith falters, even when we are distracted and start to sink in the waves of life, that you hold on to us. And so we praise you for that today. That the new and living way has been opened and that you welcome us into your arms. So we rejoice in that good news this morning. Bring life amidst this community and help us to bring life amidst the community around us into the ends of the earth. We praise the name of Jesus today, and we pray this in his name. Amen.